We've been uh, looking at marriage, a series we're calling My Beloved, My Friend. We've talked about the desire for oneness. We've talked about communication. We've talked about conflict. This morning, we're going to talk about marital intimacy. We're going to talk about sex. And ever since I sent that email out this week to the church family to kind of give you a heads up, you wouldn't imagine the text messages that I've gotten from some buddies and some friends. In fact, let me read them to you here. (laughs) No. You wouldn't imagine the comments I've already gotten this morning. In fact, let me tell you what they said. No. I asked one guy, I said, hey, you want to preach this message? He goes, no way. I said, why not, man? He said, this is literally the hardest thing in life. I can remember the week before I got married, I had asked my pastor at Denton Bible Church, Tom Nelson, hey, Tom, can I go to lunch with you? I'm I'm getting married this Saturday. Here, come on, come on. So we got in his car, we're driving down the road, we went to lunch, and we're, we're driving back to the church, and so I finally work up the nerve, and I said, all right, Tom, I'm getting married Saturday, and uh, believe it or not, I'm 27 years old, and, and I'm a virgin. Any advice? And he goes, cut your toenails. <laughs> I said, cut my toenails. He said, yeah, you don't want to carry that junk into your bed. I said, is that all you got? He said, that's it. He goes, you'll figure it out. Oh, man. Well, we ought not be ashamed to discuss what God was not ashamed to create. This is an incredible gift from a good God to husbands and wives who have looked each other in the eyeballs before God and man and said, forsaking all others, I take you. And to that man and to that woman in the context of marriage, God says, here you go. It's an incredible gift. It is a good gift from a great, great God. Whether we look in Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 or the book of Proverbs or Song of Solomon or 1 Corinthians or Hebrews or other places from beginning to end, God speaks to this incredibly powerful but incredibly incredibly wonderful thing we call sex. Maybe that's a good place to start. And this is speaking very, very generally, painting with a broad brush, so I understand. But generally, I think it may lay out this way. And ladies, sex is not gross. It's not some icky result of the fall that sometimes you're kind of into, but most of the time you'll just have to endure. Men, sex is not God. It's not this thing, always to be there, never to leave you, never to forsake you, always responsive to your cries for satisfaction and pleasure. It's not gross. It's not God. It's a good gift 
from a great God to a husband and wife in the covenant of marriage that is absolutely wonderful. Of course, the fall into sin has broken everything and sex is included in that brokenness. And so thankfully, God gives us his word and urges us through it along with the power of his Holy Spirit to seek to walk in truth. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Proverbs chapter five. Maybe you don't have a Bible, maybe you've got a phone with you or some kind of device. Find with me Proverbs chapter five. And really my sermon, and I think this text is is going to be driving at one thing this morning. Enjoy sex with your spouse often. The text lays out very clearly, verses 1 to 14, essentially flee immorality. Verse 15 through the end of the chapter, enjoy sex with your spouse often. Let's begin in verse 1. Verses 1, 2, and 3 we're going to see that sexual immorality, illicit sex, can be very enticing. My son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. Her lips drip honey. She's got smooth speech. She's very flattering. Illicit sex is. You're great. You deserve this. I am where life is found. I am where ultimate pleasure is found. Your life is boring. You need some excitement. Come here. It makes a promise of pleasure. It makes a promise for the good life. And all of us need to be very, very careful with it. Those of us been married just a bit, those of us been married for a long, long time, it can reach out and snag any of us. I learned this years ago, but quickly go through it. It begins with elimination. When a husband and wife begin to eliminate intimacy from their own marriage. Not just sexual intimacy, but relational intimacy. The communication, the just sitting and visiting, the going on walks, the going on dates, the having those play togethers. They eliminate that kind of thing from their life. It begins with elimination and then comes an encounter. That whenever you begin to eliminate that from your marriage, it's just a matter of time before you encounter someone who's attractive to you. They may be physically attractive or they may be emotionally attractive, but there's something about them that you're kind of drawn to. And you begin to get into that emotional space with them. And third, you begin to enjoy it. 
having eliminated intimacy with your spouse and having had an encounter that gets you into some emotional space with someone other than your spouse, you begin to enjoy it. Hey, this is kind of fun. And then you begin to expedite it. Because it's when you begin to enjoy it that the wise man or the wise woman will see it and will back away from it. That the sirens will go off. I've gotten too close. I'm liking this too much. I've got to back out. But if you don't do that, what you'll do is you'll expedite it. You'll begin to look for ways to spend more time with that person. You'll look for ways to where you bump into each other around the office. You'll make plans to go to lunch. You'll begin to connect via the phone or social media or the like. And then it might come to a place where you express. You're liking this. You're not so sure how much they're liking it, but you're about to find out. Boy, I sure do enjoy spending time with you. Boop. I like spending time with you too. I wish my wife would listen to me like this. I wish my husband would listen to me like this. You begin to expedite it. And now you're dead because the final one is experience. You've come so far, all you got to do now is find a room. But it'll kill you. Verses four, five, and six. She may be so enticing, so inviting, so promising, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She doesn't know it. Whenever you eat something bitter, just imagine the face that you get. Oh, it's bitter. Or imagine a two-edged sword, how it can mutilate and destroy. We'll see it spelled out a little bit more in verses 7 and following, but you could look in chapter 2 of Proverbs. You could look in chapter 6 of Proverbs. You could look in chapter 7 of Proverbs. It's as if Solomon is screaming to generations after generations, careful, because it's so enticing, but it'll destroy your life. So in verses 7 and 8, He says, flee. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. The apostle Paul would say, flee immorality. Flee youthful lusts. Just this Friday morning, my men's Bible study, we're going through the Joseph story in Genesis. He's been sold into slavery down into Egypt, and yet God exalts him to be a leader in Potiphar's house, but Potiphar's wife gets to looking at him and she thinks he looks good. And she begins, the text says, day after day making passes at him. And he continually resists until finally she 
throws herself upon him and he flees from her presence. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house in verses 9 to 14 lest you experience the pain. You will give your vigor to others, your years to the cruel one. Strangers will be filled with your strength. Your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. Loss, in a word. And regret. Verse 11, you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say how I have hated instruction. My heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I am almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Loss and regret. Maybe we ought to spend more time on verses 1 to 14. But I want to smile in this sermon. So let's just wrap that one up. Flee immorality, y'all. Flee immorality, the enticing, the inviting, the pleasure-promising lies of an adulterous affair. Be careful with it and flee it. But then in verses 15 and following, enjoy sex with your spouse often. Let me make my case with that. Verse 15. If 1 to 14 is what you ought not do, 15 and following is what you should. This is Solomon to a younger generation. Drink water from your own cistern. Fresh water from your own well. One fellow said about this paragraph, along with Genesis 2, 24 and 25, about Adam and Eve being naked and unashamed, and for this reason a, father, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Along with Genesis 2, 24 and 25, and the Song of Solomon, eight chapters in the Old Testament scriptures about marital love and romance. This paragraph sounds the note of unembarrassed passion, of open delight that should fill the air of every household which interprets marital love as a joyous expression of God's love for his people. These verses contain, quote, as winsome a stanza of poetry as Proverbs contains. And he went on to say, this is the joy of fidelity sung in a major key. Drink water from your own cistern, fresh water from your own well. This is his wife. The cistern and the well is his wife. And he is to drink water with her, fresh water from his own well, with his wife, the refreshing that comes from sexuality. And of course, it's not to be with anyone else in verse 16. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. 
Of course, he had just gotten done telling us to flee, that sort of thing, and then says, with your spouse, enjoy this good gift of sexuality. So we could say it briefly like this, have sex with your spouse. Now many of us would think, well, of course. But many of us know that's not always as easy as it sounds. Sex, for all that it is, can sometimes be really, really hard. Sometimes it's physical conditions that some are having to deal with. Maybe it's fatigue, (laughs) exhaustion, right? One guy said, sex makes little kids and kids make little sex. Ain't that right? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if it's true, but I heard one time a guy said, hey, listen, when you get married, get your big old jar and a whole bunch of marbles. And every time you have sex in the first year of your marriage, put a marble in. Then for the next 10 years of your marriage, every time you have sex, take one out, and I'm willing to bet at the end of 10 years, you still got marbles in the deal. Man, we're off and running early. And then kids, and then the job, and then mortgage, and then... Fatigue, diet, exercise, pregnancy, dysfunction, medication. Sometimes physical conditions just make expressing our love sexually hard. Sometimes it's, it's not so much physical as it is mental. Just stress. Stress at work, stress with those kids, stress with money. When, when there's just stress in your life, giving yourself physically is sometimes hard. Or preoccupation, sometimes it's incorrect information. Physical stuff can make it hard. Mental well-being can make it hard. Emotional health can make it hard. Some have experienced abuse. Some are dealing with anger. Some have real or false guilt that just keeps creeping up. And so emotional stuff is just rumbling in their heart. And so the, the sexual intimacy can be hard. Spiritual condition, whether there's unconfessed sin or just spiritual dryness or unreconciled relationships. Just have sex with your spouse, like 15 says, isn't always as easy as it may sound. And so I think in light of all of those kinds of things, the kinds of things that we've been talking about over the last several weeks become really, really important, right? Cultivating that companionship with your spouse. Spending time together, talking tenderly with each other, dating each other, finding that thing that you do together, whether it's play games or go on walks or whatever it might be. Because of the physical stuff or the emotional stuff or the mental stuff or the spiritual stuff, companionship. Cultivating companionship with your spouse is really important. And commitment. We've talked about that. We'll talk more about it next week. But just affirming to your spouse, I'm not going anywhere. 
You're mine and I'm yours until death. And being forgiving towards one another and giving each other grace. And then meeting this challenge head on with making it a priority and even scheduling it. And, you know, of course, when we were all before, you know, before marriage, the idea of scheduling sex. No way, man. I'm never going to have to schedule. It's just going to happen. And now as married couples, we're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Thursday night, babe. You know, 10 o'clock. It's not a bad idea, though. So I want us to notice, though, in light of all of those challenges that are in front of us sometimes, and maybe with a little bit, just that little bit of let's keep cultivating companionship and let's affirm our commitment to each other and let's let's tackle this one head on with with a passion um, because it's important. This part of your marriage is important. Whenever I'll have somebody come in and we'll visit about their struggling marriage, I'm not afraid to ask, how's your sex life doing? Because it's not the only thing, but it is often one of the things that can just tell you how the relationship is. How's, how, how's your sex life going? We haven't had sex in months. Right, red, just red. All right. Let's do some things. Not so you can have sex again, but because it's just, it's a powerful gift that God has given for a marriage, a husband and a wife to come together as an expression of their oneness. And so let's pursue the oneness. Let's tackle this thing. So, what I want you to notice, 15, 16, 17, says, yeah, have sex with your spouse, not with somebody else. But let's just make note. It says, have sex with your spouse. Now, better than that, the next verses I say, I think, enjoy. Enjoy sex with your spouse. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. So the refreshing water of verse 15 is their lovemaking. It's refreshing. Something that's refreshing makes you smile. It makes you feel good, both in soul and in body. In the words that are used here, blessed and rejoice and satisfy and exhilarated. In fact, the word there in verse 19, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be, some of y'all have intoxicated always with her love. This one's kind of funny. That Hebrew word for exhilarated or intoxicated is the idea of reeling or wavering. As if you're drunk. Hey, that's, that felt good, right? I knew that one would get a laugh. Be intoxicated, real and wavering always with her love. Why should you, my son, be 
intoxicated with an adulteress or embrace the bosom of a foreigner. You shouldn't. The loving deer, the graceful doe, that is his wife's beauty and her gentleness. And so, a verse like this, along with the Song of Solomon, an entire eight-chapter book in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, that paint a picture of sexuality as something that is wonderful, a gift from God that is joyful, that is refreshing, that is life-giving. A text like this that says, let your fountain be blessed, rejoice, satisfy, exhilarated or intoxicated. Enjoy it. Have some fun. It's not gross. It's not a God. It's a good gift to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. And better still, enjoy sex with your spouse often. So where do you see that, Mitch? Well, you might think that I'm digging in here and probably am, but here we go. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and be exhilarated always with her love. Now, I thought maybe the New American Standard translator was a little bit biased <laughs> towards sex, in other words. And maybe he thought, you know, it's not there in the Hebrew, but what a great place for me to sneak it in. I'm going to add always and at all times. And don't tell anybody. Well, I checked the ESV, at all times, always. I checked the NIV, always, may it ever be. Ward, I even checked the King James. At all times, always. I even checked the Hebrew. Now, I had to get my computer out for that one. What's the Hebrew say here? Continually. I like that translation the best, right? It's a good gift from a great God to a husband and to a wife who have said, I'm yours, you're mine, till death. God says, here you go. Enjoy it as often as you can. So I don't think I'm pushing it with verses... 18 and 19 to say maybe it should be when it can be fun and frequent. And the reason we ought to flee immorality in 1 to 14 and we ought to pursue sexual intimacy with our spouse is because all of our ways are before God in verse 21, 22, 23. The ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction and in the greatness of his folly. 
he will go astray. So I'm amazed again. I've said it before, but it bears repeating, I think, that God is as much concerned with romance in your marriage and mine as he is with roles in your marriage and mine. And y'all know that whenever I teach or preach about marriage, I make much of the roles in marriage. I think relational clarity is absolutely essential. That as I see it, that God has created the man to be the head, the servant leader of his family. That's his role. And that God has created a helper suitable for him. He's the head and she's the helper. He's the servant leader and she's the servant lover. That those are the, the core roles of a husband and of a wife. And those are important. And talk about those key responses. That, that if a husband longs for his wife to flourish as a helper and servant lover of the family, he's got to give her something key. Love, honor, and praise. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, Proverbs 31. Love, honor, and praise. If, if a wife wants her husband to flourish as the head and as the servant leader of her home, she's got to give him a key response. Submission. Now, that's a dirty word these days, but it's not, here's the clarity of it, it's not her role. Submission is not a wife's role. He's the head, she's the helper. He's the servant leader, she's the servant lover. That's her role. If he hopes for her to flourish, he's got to love her and honor her and praise her. If she hopes for him to flourish, she has to submit to his leadership. She's got to follow him, have an inclination to yield. Never follow him into sin. But just like in a dance, when the person who's leading is leading, and the person who's meant to follow is not, it just doesn't work. But when you're dancing and someone's leading and the other one's submitting, now you got something good. Roles, key responses, that's kind of nuts and bolts kind of stuff. I think it's essential. But then you wrap this whole circle around it called romance. God gave eight chapters on it. Eight chapters on romance, tenderness, kindness, mystery, spark, fun, Sex. Fellas, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Romance has nothing to do with your emotional makeup. So you and I cannot get away with the excuse that says, 
well, you know, you know, I'm not really the romantic type. Some guys are, I'm not, so I don't have to be romantic with my wife. That's not my personality. Romance has nothing to do with personality. It has everything to do with intention. It has everything to do with writing your wife a love letter. It doesn't have to be a poem. If it is a poem, it doesn't have to be good. It's just the intention. Babe, I love you. Babe, I'm committed to you. Ladies, you can't get away with the excuse that says, I'm not really the, the romantic type. That's just not me. It has nothing to do with whether or not you're the romantic type. It has everything to do with intention. Will I determine to romance my spouse? And when I say romance, I just, I'm not just talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about the fun, the mystery, the, the happiness. Because roles are good, essential. Key responses are good, essential. Romance is good, and it is essential. And when I am not taking steps of romance with my wife, Tara, when she's not taking steps of romance with me, her husband, could we not say that we are being disobedient to an entire book of the Bible? Hmm. Sex is not gross. It's not God, but it's a good gift from a gracious God. I sent this out in the email this week, and I hope you'll be here next week. We'll have English and Spanish congregation together. We're going to finish up this My Beloved, My Friend marriage series. I'm going to be talking about resolute commitment till the very end, and we're going to have an I Still Do ceremony. It's a family life deal, and it's really cool. The husbands and wives who will, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to turn and take each other's hands. And together in this big old room, we're going to reaffirm our commitment to each other. I still do. And when we do it, I've added a word that maybe you didn't use when five years ago or 50 years ago, you first said, I do. In the presence of God and these witnesses, and by a holy covenant, I, Mitch, joyfully receive as God's perfect gift for me to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love you, to honor you, to cherish you, to protect and romance you, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. In the presence of God and of these witnesses and by a holy covenant, I, Tara, joyfully receive you as God's perfect gift for me, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love you, to honor you, to respect you, to submit to you, and romance you, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. And that one little word I'm just trying to capture, the Song of Solomon, Proverbs 5, 
that says this is an important part of marriage. And I'll close with this. Ladies, I often get to speak to your husbands in men's breakfast or men's Bible study or the like. And you've heard me talk about it in here that there's four needs that a wife has generally. Now, the list could be longer, I know. But I say to the men, I challenge myself and I challenge the men, we understand or we need to understand that our wives need companionship. They need security, both financially and relationally. They need significance. They need to know that what they're doing is significant, that love, honor, and praise kind of thing. And they need emotional responsiveness. Now, we guys, we're just guys. And so we're trying to do the best we can. And we stumble and we do our thing in in that relationship with you in, in trying to be more emotionally responsive, to listen better, to to talk more. We got a long way to go, but we talk about that as men. If I got to speak at a women's breakfast or at a women's Bible study, I would talk about four needs that your husband has. Companionship. Uh Uh-oh, guys. Uh, Respect or admiration. Admiration. I'm Not so much I love you, we like that, but I'm proud of you. We really like that. So companionship, admiration, support. That as he's out there and giving it, uh, 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 that he knows when he comes home that there's there's support there. You, You know it. Physical responsiveness. He doesn't much care if you listen to him or not. Are you responsive to him sexually? It's a core need that he has. Just as much as you have emotional needs and you want him to be responsive when you talk to him, he's got physical needs and he wants you to be responsive when he's making those moves. We get it. We get it, all right? That's one of the needs that he has. Men, women, let's remember, we're not into this 50-50 kind of marriage. I'll be physically responsive if he'll be emotionally responsive. I'll be emotionally responsive to her if she'll, be, if she'll be physically responsive to me. If she'll do her part, then I'll do mine. If he'll do his part, then I'll do mine. That ain't us. We're Christians. We give 100%. We're selfless people who seek to meet the needs of our spouse, whether they're seeking to meet the needs of ours or not. It's what Christ has done for us. And that's what the church ideally does in response to Christ. All God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven,
help us here. As, as one of my brothers said this morning, this is the hardest thing in life. Lord, help us to love our spouse and help us to, by the power of the Spirit of Christ within us, give ourselves selflessly to serving our spouse and meeting their needs, meeting the emotional needs of our wives, meeting the physical needs of our husbands, being kind towards one another and gracious towards one another and forgiving towards one another and hand in hand, arm in arm together. Lord, might our marriages not, not only hang on and survive, but might they thrive. Not only with the roles and the responsibilities, but with the romance, the tenderness, the kindness, the love, the fun, the mystery, the intimacy, the sex. And God, if I could, we pray for our kids. For our little boys and our little girls. Our young men, our young women. Would you help them in this fight of faith? to trust that your ways are the very best of ways. You would give them self-control, give them patience, give them wisdom. And if it is your will for them, give them a husband, a wife that loves Christ and loves them. We'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing, two things. Friends, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like all of us. Every one of us has fallen sexually. Even me, virgin till I was 27. That ain't the only way you can sin sexually. It's premarital sex. That ain't the only way you can sin. I'm a sinner when it comes to sexuality. You're a sinner when it comes to sexuality. We're all sinners when it comes to everything. So don't lose hope. Jesus Christ came into the world for men and women just like you and me that he might live a holy life you couldn't live and die upon a cross to pay the penalty for what you and I have done. It's why he came and to rise and he's alive right now. And he gives his spirit to his people who trust him. He gives his spirit to, to give us new desires and give us a new way of life. So if you don't know Jesus, Today, put your trust in Christ. And if you need to know more about that, would you please come see me? I would love to tell you more.